On the first three seasons of the Behind the Scenes podcast, we focused on a single hit television series. We've taken you to the upside down of Stranger Things, to the continent of The Witcher, and to 1960s Dallas with the Umbrella Academy. But if you've been on Netflix recently, you'll probably notice that these days, there are just as many incredible animated shows as live action. So on this season of Behind the Scenes, we're not focusing on just one show. We're getting a sneak peek from five different hit animated series that take us from the middle school cafeteria to the medieval realm of Dreamland to the far off planet of Etheria. Each episode, we'll talk with showrunners, voice actors, and animators about adapting franchises from the 1980s to present day, how comedy changes from live action to the sound booth, and all the steps it takes to bring cartoons to life. We'll look at how She-Ra and the Princesses of Power became a diverse ensemble focusing on community. Best friend squad! How Voltron Legendary Defenders got girls involved in its cartoon world. I can't man up. How Castlevania turned a video game into a dark and gritty anime. Oh God! Dracula! And how the comedic cast of Disenchantment draws from their real-life dynamic to voice a group of memorable friends. You know it's a great night when we still have to see the Plague Patrol. Morning, princess! We've got something for the diehard fans, and for those of you who are just curious about how animated series are made, and some light spoilers along the way. I'm your host, Brandon Jenkins, and in our first episode, we're going behind the scenes of season four of Big Mouth. Big Mouth is inspired by the real-life teen years of creators Nick Kroll and Andrew Goldberg. You know, Andrew Goldberg and I have known each other since we were six years old. In each episode, cartoon Andrew and Nick, along with their friends Jay, Jesse, Missy, Matthew, and Lola, navigate puberty. They're helped along the way by a few hormone monsters, hairy anthropomorphic creatures that embody very real and sometimes scary hormones. I gotta say, all that hand stuff made me, Connie, a little horny. Should we do some hand stuff? Ooh, really? This season starts at summer camp, where Nick, Andrew, and Jesse are only getting more and more uncomfortable with their changing bodies and raging hormones. Hey, how's camp going for you? Absolutely terrible, you. That's a nightmare. Oh, perfect. Meanwhile, Missy is figuring out what it means for her to be mixed race. You guys haven't taught me anything about being black. I didn't even know the difference between pumpkin pie and sweet potato pie. While Jay and Lola find love for the first time. Let's take this love connection to the eighth grade. Really? You mean like boyfriend and girlfriend? No. What? Like king and queen. Oh, fuck, yes. The show has always personified feelings like horniness, shame, and depression with anthropomorphized monsters, wizards, and kitties. And with this season comes two new additions. Tito the Anxiety Mosquito, voiced by comedian Maria Bamford. Think about it. They see your dick. They make fun of you. You have no friends. You become the Unabomber. And you write manifestos like a small-dicked maniac! And The Gratitude, voiced by Zach Galifianakis. When I feel my lily pad sinking down into the muck, you know what I do? I think you're gonna tell me. I try to think about all the things I'm grateful for. Makes me feel a little better. To understand how new seasons of established cartoons get made, we caught up with creator, writer, and voice actor Nick Kroll about how he and his team made sure each season grows and changes, just like their characters. We also talked with new writers Mitra Jahari and Brandon Kyle Goodman about how they brought their personal experiences to the writers' room and the lessons they learned from this season. So grab your backpacks and get ready to take notes. We're going back to middle school. This is Behind the Scenes, animation. 
Hi, my name is Nick Kroll. I am a co-creator, co-executive producer, writer, and do a number of voices on Big Mouth. Okay. So with all those many roles, walk us through the process of how the show gets made. Who's sitting there with you? What are you all working on? How long does it take? You know, it's probably about two years ago, and because usually me, Mark Levin, Jennifer Flackett, and Andrew Goldberg, who are the other creators and executive producers on the show. Who's Mark Levin? You know, he's one of those four created by names at the end of the theme song. Four's a lot, huh? I heard they're all married to each other. Fucking Hollywood. We usually meet before we actually start the season. I believe Andrew Goldberg had the idea for looking at anxiety as a major theme for the season. I think both because of what we were just seeing and feeling and talking to kids uh, and and dealing with ourselves. So what we'll do then as a room is we then will, you know, come in and be like, here's what we're thinking this season is about anxiety. And then we continue to zero in on the stories and then obviously outline and start to go to draft and then the table reads. And then once those are all done and we voice the season, then the animatics start to come in. Because of the lengthy process in it, you're, we're always kind of watching throughout the season, even though our writing and voicing process is about five months or so. It's the beauty of animation is that you just get so many opportunities to make jokes funnier, make stories work better, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, this season uh, kicks off with summer camp. It's really the beginning of the season, but also, um, you know, the beginning of Nick's anxiety as well. How personal was that storyline for you? Like, were you a camp kid? I was. Um, I did go to summer camp and Andrew Goldberg, in, in fact, came to the same summer camp I went to oh, after a couple. I had, that's tight. I had been there for a few years and then Andrew joined uh, me at that camp. And, you know, there was actually some like concern of like, oh, well, we're home friends. Will it be weird to now be camp friends? Um, yes. So we had that. In, and in fact, that Seth Rogen, who plays Seth Goldberg on the show, is loosely based on a friend of ours who was like kind of, I considered my camp best friend. And then Andrew came to our camp and over the years, like they became very, very close. And at times I felt sort of like, I felt like I had become the third wheel. Um, so we condensed that way down into, you know, a few episodes, but that's really based on us going to camp together. And like, and as a kid who was a late bloomer and hit puberty later, um, camp showers, you know, those big group showers were, I definitely felt a lot of anxiety as a kid, you know, group showers, because you were sort of like, I was like, oh, I think everyone else has hit puberty and I haven't. So it was like a, a lot of that stuff was very much <laughs> based on our real experiences of being at camp. When they see your little rat nose, they're gonna rip you apart. Oh shit, you got an eggzito now? They're gonna call you a little Dick Nixon. I am not a clad. What can Jack Dickelson? Wait till they get a chode of me. Okay, that's enough, I get it. That's one of the first things I noticed. I wasn't a camp kid, but when you sort of have that Venn diagram of friend groups, yeah. when you have them overlap, it's always something about that as a kid is very tense. I don't know what that is, but that is a real thing. Yeah, well, I think certain kids got to change their identities in different spaces. So like, I may be not that cool at school, but when I get to camp, I'm cool. Like girls like me or, you know, I, I mean, I'm speaking to my experience of like, I'm very well behaved in, in school, but when I get to Sunday school or Hebrew school, I, I'm like a bad kid. And so your friends see you through those different lenses. 
because especially at that age, kids are really trying on their personas, trying on personalities, trying to figure out who they are. And sometimes they don't always match up, you know. And on top of that, you know, Andrew Goldberg and I have known each other since we were six years old and became best friends in middle school and stayed friends through high school and college. And then we both moved to L.A. and had very different tracks that, you know, Andrew worked, uh, you know, a family guy for many, many years and I was doing comedy and the fact that we've come back together to do this show together, which could have gone terribly, you know, like we we had not worked together since like doing skits in like eighth grade. The fact that Whoa. we, yeah, it's crazy that we had not worked together from the age of like 14 and we came back together at, you know, 37, 38 to try to see if we still had it. Um, <laughs> and that that has brought us closer together and connected on on such a deeper level than um, is is really crazy and, and very gratifying. You said something about talking to kids and I thought was interesting. Mm. Um, are, are you literally pulling like sort of like some of their issues and storylines from like kids that you know? Yeah, we, we talked to a lot of experts throughout. Um, one thing that we also did was we talked to a, a, a sex educator um, in San Francisco um, and named Shafia Zaloom, and she connected us to a bunch of her students. But we would Skype with her students and get feedback on things that they thought we were doing well, things that they had ideas for. We sometimes pitch them ideas for episodes or areas that, and whether that felt true or not. And uh, in, in season four, we also spoke to therapists as we dealt with anxiety. We talked to therapists as, as to like advice they had about how to deal with anxiety, what are not only addressing symptoms of anxiety, but also what are some methods to, to deal with it. One of the interesting things I think throughout this season, and you brought it up already, is um, you know anxiety. You all really centered on that throughout the episode run. I mean, it's been there in prior seasons, but you really sort of uh, crystallize it, you know, in the form of the anxiety mosquito, Tito. Why personify it, Tito? We landed on Tito the anxiety mosquito because anxiety does kind of, it bites you. And then it's not like something else that it bites you and then it just goes away. There's a bite and it leaves a mark. Like you, you, we've all been outside and it seems like it's a lovely night and then all of a sudden you get hit with a, <laughs> a mosquito and then you start to itch it. And then even if the mosquito's gone, you can't get out of your head that the, there's a mosquito around, that it could come back. Why are there so many fucking mosquitoes? I can't breathe. I'm fucking freaking out. Oh, are you having a panic attack? What? Who said that? Me. I did. What the hell are you? I'm Tito, the anxiety mosquito. Anxiety mosquito? The idea that anxiety can start to come at you from all different angles and compound itself, it can start as something very small, but it, it can grow and, and it can it's really cumulative. So that, that was, I think, some of the original inspiration for it. And then to combat Tito, you made the gratitude. What's the deal with that? What's his story? We did speak to a therapist who's a like has worked with a lot of writers, um, and we talked about like what are ways to combat anxiety, and obviously th also through research. And it seems like a lot of it is breathing. Just breathe. Just breathe. <sighs> okay. I know that when I'm anxious or when I'm not in touch with my body, that I am my breath is very shallow. And the more that you can sort of take deep breaths, the like some of that anxiety can sort of get peeled away a little bit. And he talked about different methods of how to deal with it. One of the things he talked about was gratitude, 
And I remember very clearly in the room, we, we was talking about gratitude and I immediately was like, oh, like a gratitude. And then that became, you know, a character for us to to play with and, and as a way to deal with it. This is the gratitude. Oh. He's got um, this like goofy Southern drunk on moonshine vibe. But most importantly, he's really helped me with my anxiety. Pleasure to meet you, Nick. I imagine you all end up talking a lot about very personal issues in the writer's room. So now I'm wondering how just the process of researching and writing about anxiety might have impacted your own anxiety or the anxiety of the room. We have to create a very safe space to talk in our writer's room because things are so personal. And, you know, I have to say that this season for of Big Mouth, we're very pleased with it, but we were relieved to be done with it because all of this talk about anxiety was an- anxiety-ridden because yeah. um, we couldn't quite escape it. And our, a bunch of our characters couldn't escape it. And specifically, Nick really carries it through the whole season and really is a deep dive into his anxiety and neuroses and, and on some level, my own anxieties and neuroses. Everybody has different versions of it. And I think all of our writers brought different elements to to speak to those different versions of it. So, you know, there's so much heavy lifting on the writing portion, and I know the recording is still work, but how much room is there for you all to sort of let loose, have fun, you know, throw ad-libs and improvise? Because of our insanely talented cast who are all very funny performers, but also, for the most part, writers as well, we've always leaned on the fact that we are going to have our voice talent come in and, and be able to improvise and add things, and we, you know, as much as possible lean into that. For example, like, Jay and Lola have a ton of story together in season four. And Jason Manzukis and I are are incredibly close friends and have worked together a ton. And so whenever possible, we get us in the room together. And there was always improvising inside of that. May I tongue you, my queen? Permission granted, my king. Well, thinking about that, for Jay and Lola's storyline this season, um, how much of that was just, you know, people wanting to push the limits for you and Jason together. <laughs> I mean, the, the sexual chemistry between Jason Manzoukas and I is undeniable. <laughs> it was never, it wasn't like always the plan, but I think we realized early on as we were starting to conceive of this, that Jay and Lola really have a ton in common. They're both basically parentless and are craving to have a real strong connection to someone. And because of that, like really being kind of latchkey kids and the fact that they're both like incredibly horny, felt like they would be a really fun match. Besides, in in addition to the fact that, you know, Jason and I have a very, very close friendship and and really love performing and improvising together, that it it felt like it would work for a lot of reasons to to bring them together. Is there a particular uh, moment or scene that stands out for you? Without ruining too much, there's an episode that we call Hand Stuff that Mitra and Brandon wrote. And, you know, it's all about it's all about hand stuff, fingering, hand jobs, uh, masturbation, all the stuff that, you know, kids in middle school are just beginning to kind of deal with and think about. So there are scenes where, you know, Jay and Lola are are trying to navigate that stuff, hand stuff. And it was, I mean, hilariously bizarre to be doing those (laughs) scenes with Jason. Teach me the ways of your kingdom. With pleasure, Jason. It was quite an experience and a new, new level to our friendship. 
Do you think the show is more for kids as they progress going forward? Or is it more for adults looking backwards to contextualize what happened? I think the show started as a look back for specifically for Andrew and I about our childhood. And it was always set in the Mm. present day. But there was a feeling of like, you know, a little bit of like nostalgia. Um, But as the seasons have gone on, I think we've really tried to make it feel very current. And I think we, when we realized that kids were watching it, that we wanted to speak to what it feels like now to be kids. And I think the beauty of puberty is that it doesn't matter whether it's a nostalgic look back or a, a, a current day dissection. You're just, puberty is universal, you know, like uncontrollable horniness in 1975 is the same as it is in 1991. And continues on in 2020, how that horniness manifests might be different. Like what, you know, what kids are, (laughs) what you're masturbating to, whether it's like a discarded Playboy or like a disgusting Pornhub link uh, changes. And and I think we, (laughs) you know, we want to speak to all of those things. And hopefully the universality of, of puberty allows us to speak to kids now as much as it does people in their 40s and 50s. Nick wasn't the only one who had to relive his teen years. This season saw newcomers Mitra Jahari and Brandon Kyle Goodman adding their own personal stories to the show. We talked to both of them about what it's like joining an established series like Big Mouth and how their fears, anxieties, and embarrassing moments made their way into the scripts. All right, Um, so we're gonna start with the most basics of basics. Can you both introduce yourself and say what you do on Big Mouth? Yes, my name is Brandon Kyle Goodman. My pronouns are he, they, and I am a writer on the show. My name's Mitra Jahari. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, and I am also a writer on the show. Can you sort of create the writer's room environment for us? Like, sort of start to finish like you guys are embarking on a new season what's the process like and i can see you're about to laugh so i'm imagining it's a fun (laughs) environment oh my god i miss in person so much brandon and i always sit next to each other we started we started writing for the show the same season this season uh season four and really fell for each other in love just like inseparable in love lots of note passing (laughs) so we (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> lots of lots of guys pay attention because you know we're just enamored with one another. <laughs> so for both of you, what has this show taught you about writing for animation specifically? Like how is that different than I guess like live action? Yeah. The imagination, like it like the first thing that I realized was like, oh, my imagination is trash. You know, because you have such you have such a big imagination as a kid, and it gets stomped out of you as you grow up. And animation is this world where literally anything you can dream it up. We can go there. We can go to Mars. We can do this. We can personify a period. And so really having to stretch my imagination again and lean into, as Mitra says, like the silliness, that has been kind of a beautiful takeaway in my own life, right? And even like thinking about, you know, what our country has to do and being willing to kind of dream up things that you you haven't even thought about, dream up new solutions, right? Like it, like whatever we're in in this country right now is going to require imagination. And so being able to flex that muscle and learn that I needed to flex that muscle is really special and sacred to me. And I, and I really do owe that to the show. Well, a big theme for season four is anxiety. Can you talk a little bit about that and why anxiety just feels like the right theme for right now? Isn't it wild? It's kind of funny that 
I mean, it's not funny, but the idea that, you know, we wrote this in 2019, the EPs kind of came in and said, we want the season to be about anxiety. And then to know it's coming out in the middle of one of the most anxiety-ridden years that I've ever experienced um, feels appropriate <laughs> um, and and serendipitous. If, if I don't even know what that word means, but it, did yeah. it sound good? It, <laughs> it was really good. Right? good. Okay, <laughs> it, it works. It works. <laughs> We're going to go with that. We'll go with that. I also love that the to see the manifestation, you know, Tito, because it kind of makes it more manageable because, you know, in sitting inside of anxiety just right now in terms of, you know, the pandemic and racial reckoning, it, you're just kind of feeling it and it's hard to, to work through it. And I think seeing Tito kind of allows it to be this other thing that you can combat not you know, not completely defeat all the time and that's not the point of the the season but you learn how to manage yes it's like it's not that one big monster it's many little monsters yeah yeah Oof, i'm exhausted hey you're not so scary when you're small yeah a mosquito is actually pretty manageable and they taste delicious and again the point not being that this is how you get rid of it completely but the point being like it is manageable, can be manageable, and and here's a tool mm-hmm. to manage it or to to consider inside of our own personal anxious journeys. I like that you said manage because I think that's like it's really interesting to know that these like small people are going through this, and here we are as adults trying to defeat the thing. And it's like ah, uh, there's a lot of like management that needs to go on and like settling with that idea. Um, I think that's yes. like well, well, I feel like it's such a trap of like especially with like so much of the narrative around self-care and stuff like that, where Mm -hmm. it's like every day for two hours, you will erase the bad feelings (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just so, I don't know. I mean, like kudos to anyone who can. um, But for me, it's like, what can I do to make the bad feelings feel slightly less bad (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and, and to enjoy the good feelings as I have them Um, which is easy so if anybody (laughs) if you need help if you need advice find us (laughs) how did the actual like craft of writing about like through the characters and the story you're telling does that help at all like are you able to like literally pin something and see like oh this is what I'm feeling right now or is it just like, is it a nice distraction from the things you're feeling? Or is it just, you know, like all the things to get to point B? I mean, I think, you know, it's like, I feel like everybody probably has some unresolved trauma from puberty or like <laughs> thing, things that happened to them that, you know, I, I don't know. I I did feel, uh, you know, obviously it's a it's a different situation, but I did feel like a level of catharsis from the the Missy story. I mean... My dad is an immigrant, and I think, like, watching that episode where, like, the mirror shatters and you see the pieces come back together, and it's, like, mm. there's that feeling, like, that I that I relate to of, like, I'm Middle Eastern and, like, being, you know, not white enough for my hometown and then not brown enough when I went to Iran. It was very, like, this, you know, that was such an experience of being, like, that feeling of, like, oh, am I nothing? When, like, that Mm -hmm. Missy talks about. I really related to that. I think watching that, I, I like, watched it again last night and I, like, I cry every time the mirror comes back together because it just feels so real to me. Oh, there I am. I'm all of these missies. All of them. Whoa, 
mosaic, Missy. It captured a moment for me of that that it happened to me like in like my twenties and just have like lucky Missy is kind of happening a little sooner <laughs> <laughs> for her. So um yay queen. Uh, but <laughs> I'm actually, I'm curious. So is the characters that you feel most um, connected to, are they the ones you like writing for most? Or is it sometimes the ones that are the, the furthest away from who you really are? For me, I think they're the ones I like writing the most. Like, I love writing for Matthew, Missy, and Andrew, just because Andrew is like, I know that he's not, but he feels like a queer icon in training. Uh, Matthew obviously is queer, and there's a sassiness about him. And Missy just has this innocence about her that I think that I, I try to hold on to. So I think when you understand a character, it becomes easier to write for them. And so I definitely know for me, I gravitate towards those three mm-hmm. for sure. Mitra, what about you? I definitely identify with Missy a lot, like sort of horny dork who has like, <laughs> you know, some some identity confusion. And I think also like I love writing for Jay and Lola and Andrew. I would say like the most disgusto uh, characters yes. are the ones that I really love the most, but not necessarily the ones I identify with the most. So you're creating these moments on screen that you're drawing from your childhood. I'm curious, were either of you anxious children? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Matthew uh, kind of being out with his friends, but then having to uh, have that conversation with his mother. Um, For me, that happened in college. Like I was, you know, I came out to my friends and was kind of living my queer life, but hadn't come out to my mother and then like dealing with the anxiety of that, you know, for Missy with code switching and like learning about these different parts of yourself and how to, you know, compartmentalize, but also bring it together. I mean, that was, I mean, that was middle school, high school for me as well. When I was 13, there was no one to really uh, articulate that. Nothing was really being explicit about uh, learning how to do that or the necessity of that or the fucked upness of that um, or, or or the nuances of that. And so it's really exciting to see those pieces of, of I think, our childhood on the show explained so that hopefully the, this new generation can understand it a little more. Yeah. Uh, well, there have been, I think that there are moments in every season and and I think, you know, so much of it comes from our real lives and from the writers' real lives, like where I'm like, oh, if I had seen that when I was in junior high, I would have mm-hmm. felt so much less disgusting yes. and like alone. I I I'm and you know, I don't I don't wanna speak for younger people because I think ultimately, like for the most part, they're much cooler <laughs> and like have much more <laughs> have much more access than we did and sure. like are just so much more aware. Like, I don't want to say we're like blowing anyone's minds, but I'm saying that it would have blown my mind, yes. um, which is exciting. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, and it's just stuff about like, like periods and sure. like seeing a girl have a, like a big period in a, in a bed that like around other people. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Did you kill someone? No, I just had a huge fat period. That seems like a lot of blood. It's way more than normal. And it's also like chunky. There was a there was a moment in college where I was at a guy's place and I got my period on his couch and I just flipped the couch cushion over and never said anything because I was just like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> no, Definitely. I'm supposed to be in, in control of this. Uh, <laughs> Flip uh, the couch and get out of there. <laughs> get out of there. 
you all are taking, you know, these personal experiences and then, you know, writing them and letting them play out in an animated show. And you're dealing with puberty, which is inherently a messy experience. But is there a limit to what you can show on screen, even in animation? I mean, season four has a poop episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> Yeah, you see a sh- you see a shit coming out of an ass and the shit talks. Yeah. So like we da- but let's, like let's was, talk about it. I mean, it was fun to be like to have the EPs be like, okay, it's just a little too brown. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, like maybe just like a little let la- like that conversation after watching the animatics was probably one of my favorite. Yeah, it's like, like I can't believe we're we're having like just dis- like we're like parsing like what color like how much the shit comes out or something it's like and and it all matters but it is just like yes. wow i this is my this life. is my job <laughs> my job right this now is, my is job. to say that it's too brown yeah <laughs> you motherfuckers try and shit me i'll pull out your fucking spinal cord I, it's just wild to be like and yeah. yet i'm gonna also say we are more committed to the storytelling so it's not just to be <laughs> it's not to be vulgar for vulgar's sake or shock for shock's sake right there is a bit of care that we take as we tackle these really gross moments which i think is what makes the show successful and exciting i think people feel like we can they can explore and examine these really gross parts of our childhood at the same time, they're also going to be taken care of because we're not just going to make the shit too brown, you know? <laughs> so true. That's what we call range. Beautifully put. Do either of you have a moment you were a part of in the writer's room that you're just extremely proud of? Like, um, that's whether it's reflected on screen for us and the audience to see or maybe one that didn't make it, but like sort of lives with you? The code switching episode, I was really proud to be a part of the process of of helping to break that story. What? Are you serious? You don't have one of these? What? You don't have a code switch? No. Um, I think that it was so beautifully written and, and broken, but to be a part of helping to navigate Missy's um, confronting her Blackness, because that was really important to me because I think it is something that gets left behind, is that, you know, we don't need to have somebody have this oppressive kind of base narrative, but... Blackness and identifying your blackness is a part of puberty to me. Like that was, there was a moment inside of my puberty along with the hormones where I had to identify my race. Uh, and I had to understand how my race sits inside of the world that I'm living in, the classroom that I'm in. And so uh, it was really special to be able to go on that journey with the writer of that episode and with Missy. And, you know, all of that was really cool for me. I, I think also the the Jay and Lola story is something that I feel mm. really connected to. And like I I love the way that their relationship is treated on the show and that it they really do care about each other and like that I love you moment I love a lot. Hey Lola. Yes, Jay? I I love you. Aw. Thanks, Jay. You're cool too. We're nearing the end here, so I'm curious, are there any big takeaways you hope fans get from this season? You know, the season is about anxiety, and so I hope that, one, they're given an escape, you know? Like, it is important inside of all this fighting, and so I hope that they're able to get some of that inside of the show and moments of of joy that are sacred and sometimes few and far between. And then I hope that at the same time they're able to take away the value of of gratitude, you know? And Brandon, like, stole my answer. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because I'm toxic. <laughs> the audience knows. They know it was your answer, Mitra. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the same. I hope people feel seen. And um, I hope that people have fun. And I, I hope that people try the gratitude thing. <laughs> I, I really mm-hmm. like yeah. that. It was something that I think was my big takeaway was practice gratitude. And that's it for this week's episode of Behind the Scenes. Stay tuned for next week when we interview showrunner Noelle Stevenson and actor Amy Carrero about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. They tell us how the reboot is influenced by the original 1980s cartoon and how a show about one superhero turned into an ensemble series of powerful characters. So that was always my approach with She-Ra, was like, are the characters always central? Are they making sense? It takes the entire series for her to learn the biggest lesson, which is being a hero doesn't mean going it alone. It actually requires the entire community. Behind the Scenes Animation is a Netflix and Pineapple Street Studios production. I'm your host, Brandon Jenkins. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening.